Objects, said philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, should not touch because they are not alive. You use them, put them back in place, you live among them, they are useful, nothing more. But they touch me, it's unbearable. I'm afraid of being in contact with them as though they were living beasts. After using my mum's old Tupperware containers as grief therapy after she passed away a few years ago, I became fascinated at how and why such a simple piece of plastic could hold so much emotion for me. How could these objects touch me so deeply? So I became overtaken with wonder at how my use of objects owned, used and cherished by her could be so powerful and therapeutic. Why do we invest so much in things? How could a basic, empty plastic container, a mere tool, make us so happy? And surely, in a world crowded with waste, disposability, materialism and hyper-consumerism, investing meaning in objects, in stuff, is part of the problem. And Tupperware, I mean, it's just an empty plastic container bound for landfill, right? Or is it a container of fascinating intergenerational stories? Well, I'm on the road to discovering the answers to these questions, plus a whole world of stories about us. Women, men, people, children, community, food, family, friendship, empowerment, and more. So Sartre, it seems, was onto something. Objects just aren't objects. My name is Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast. Well, it's rolling. Got the levels. Danny Walsh is a musician visiting Berlin with a mighty passion for vintage objects. A mutual friend thought he might make the perfect person for me to speak to on Auspicious Plastic. Originally from regional Victoria in Australia, Danny now makes his home in the big smoke of Melbourne. He's married to Emma and they have a little girl, Joni. Uh, My name's Danny Walsh, or Daniel Walsh as my business title goes um, here in Berlin on a work conference uh, I work in the wind industry so I have a conference here uh, yeah the conference was three days and it's just finished and you're also a musician yes so now that I've my conference is over I'm going to be playing a gig tomorrow night uh, on a roof Yes, on a rooftop, which depending when this is broadcast, I guess it won't be tomorrow night, will it? <laughs> so, but tomorrow night I have a, a gig that my friend has kindly organised, our mutual friend Kate. So, And I've just heard that there'll be people from the Australian Embassy in attendance. So you'll have to sing an Australian song? Yeah, I've got my Australian song. Uh, I could do my Steve Irwin number and a song about going back home to the country. And you seem to have a bit of a thing for burnt orange and collecting stuff from previous eras so before we talk about your special object could you tell us a little bit about your relationship to things as it pertains to your house yeah well I guess it's a it's a joint project in the house uh I did have a lot of things before I met Emma she's got a lot of things uh of very much sentimental value as well a lot belonging to her nan or grandparents uh Emma's more or less a vintage collector, I would say, with her clothes and furniture. But that's that's another interview. <laughs> I won't even go there. Uh, and, of course, yeah, I've got a few things along the way as well. And I think objects are important. Uh, so when you came together, when you, when you decided to move in together and share your lives together, you had a bunch of stuff and she had a bunch of yeah. stuff and you brought them together. And we ran out of room. <laughs> 
So what kind of stuff in your collection did you have? Uh, collections, I'm, I have instruments, guitars. Yeah, I, I guess not so much collecting. I have small objects uh, that I've collected from various trips overseas and things. So what, what is your relationship to objects? It's, it's almost a touchy subject because I am a little bit of a hoarder. But I, I definitely like... I was thinking about it before, like a 3D diary almost. So things along the way, picking things up, keeping them. So on a trip, I take a souvenir from here and there. And um, I think that's important for some reason. So there's memory attached to these objects that you keep? Yeah, very much. I think that's that's sort of why uh, why you would <laughs> souvenir something, <laughs> as yeah. strange as it sounds. Photos is a whole another world of, of souveniring memories, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they, they lay in uh, in vaults of digital photo land. <laughs> yeah. do, do you still have any photos left over from when you were a whippersnapper, like the actual printed ones? Yeah, they're in, in boxes somewhere. That yeah, we we actually recently moved house, so we moved into a bigger house. <laughs> it does sound like we've got a lot of stuff, but it's actually quite <laughs> it's it's sort of minimalist uh, presented now. So you're in the shall we say ecological industry or the green industry sustainable energy industry Mm. is there any sort of paradox or tension between you being in that industry which is anti-materialism and sustainability and anti-waste and (laughs) anti-hoarding and the fact that I guess you guys have got cherished objects for having yeah sustainability uh, I think well growing up on a farm you certainly uh, learn to everything, or well, say everything, but things get reused and recycled and repurposed, and maybe that's something that carries on in life. Or maybe I do have a certain affinity for memories and things. I mean, there was quite a long time after I was well and truly grown up and still was like having trouble with throwing stamps out because collecting stamps when you're kids is a big thing. Yeah. So tearing a stamp up and throwing it in the bin is kind of a waste of a good stamp, you know. Yeah. But uh, I've long since given up collecting stamps. <laughs> but my collections would still be at home somewhere. Um, but yes, sustainable. I think it's it's reusing things and keeping things. And it's uh, you know, the phrase is you never know when you might need it. Uh, I was almost going to write a song about that. All right. Well, let's get on to your special object. Well, I thought about that when I arrived. There was a few things I was carrying with me, or at least on my feet. My thongs were carrying me around the park and one of them busted so I can't use the thongs because although you love your thongs yeah well those Havianas is it Havianas Havana the the Hawaiian or Brazilian or something they're probably the second pair I've had I'm pretty sure the first pair I got more than 15 years ago I was trying to do them so these ones would be at least 10 years old and they've done a lot of trips and a lot of kilometers but yeah it had to bust when I was way out in the tear garden park and had to hobble across to the very nice cafe where the people are going around in their boats and uh, it's beautiful uh, but I just had one thong on my foot and one in my hand and then a guy just walking past was just looked up and he said kaput <laughs> so I figured that kaput meant broken thong they're not the double plugged Dunlops that I was accustomed to when I was younger so these the single plug <laughs> I think last a lot longer um, or proven track record because I'm pretty sure the first ones I got were in Byron Bay and that was 
like 15 years ago on a random trip. But these ones, probably seven or eight years. So, so were you sad when the thong broke? Like, I'm, I'm asking this quite legitimately. Yes, not just functionally because I had to walk through a city park in one bare foot. Um, but I did feel a bit of a sense of loss that the functional part of my chariot had been destroyed on the in the on the park and I had to hobble around so what what did you decide to talk about then given that your thong broke so my hat which is on my head here now it was also an important object I felt so when you're talking about long held items so I was thinking back and I got this hat when I was first in Germany and I just before I came down to meet you Megan I had to scrolled through on my phone I look back it was 2004 it was a work trip back then when I first started it was in Denmark and I took a train to meet a friend in Amsterdam and on the way I stayed a night in Hamburg and I actually <laughs> didn't remember how that actually chronologically worked out which is I mustn't have collected enough objects along the way to, to help me remember that but uh, so I spent one night in Hamburg and I went wandering down the street with the first guy I met was uh, when I stepped into the hostel was turned out to be a Sicilian guy and we went walking down the street and went to a Christmas market and I bought this hat and I'm still wearing it now and then I'm trying to think back of how much I've worn this hat and it's it's a lot. How many hours do you reckon? <laughs> it's or years? Well, it's uh, 2004, yeah, it's like 16 years. Or so. And you wear it a lot? Yes, so historically I wore it a hell of a lot. Definitely a lot of stepping out into the night, put the hat on and away you go. So I was wearing it in and out in Melbourne, but also worn on other trips. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons because it just seems to be an extension of my my noggin. And your identity? I th- yeah, uh, it's some individuality comes with putting the hat on. Unless, yeah, let's uh, describe it. <laughs> well, it's 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 a '70s brown. Oh, yeah. It's pinstriped. I don't know. There'll be a special name for it. It's got a peak, and it's sort of a bit looser on the crown. Yeah, that's a yeah. And I don't know the true name for it, but it it's, it's got the sun protection quality, which makes it uh, very useful um, in the summer months. However. When it's cold in winter, instead of putting on a beanie, which mightn't be as stylish, not saying anything about folks beanies, because beanies are groovy, but uh, it, it keeps the head warm and still has the style. And yet you can still you can do like a beret thing if you flip it around. And you've turned it backwards now. Uh, which I don't, I don't do, but if you wanted to do a beret thing, uh, or the sort of beatnik vibe, then you can do that. Or this, this is more the... The way I've worn it, it seems to fit well with the hair flopping out the side. Uh, if you don't want to do your hair, you just put the hat on. So it's good for weekends. It's good for going to the shops, going to Bunnings. And and in, in recent months, I realised that it had progressed from being something you wear out in, into public. Growing up on a farm, you have more or less, you have your home clothes and you have your going to town clothes. So this has pretty much started moving into the around the house clothes so I I was wearing it out in the backyard fixing stuff out there and doing stuff you know which is at the risk of it getting damaged and not being as superior for a going out hat but it's still it, in terms of packing up and going to Berlin it's flat you was it like the first thing you threw in your suitcase chuck it in the suitcase doesn't matter if it gets squashed like my other hats <laughs> which you might start asking me about <laughs> If we're so talking it's about got hats. a practical side. Very practical, yeah. very um, versatile. You know, you can do the 
Angus Young kind of thing. When, when you're playing guitar. When you're playing guitar. Yeah. So you wear it on stage? Yes. I, I I was thinking about that just before. I think I used to wear it on stage a lot, and but I I have another hat or a couple of other hats that I wear on stage more with the feather. Um, the feather thing, so I have more a Kubra style. Suiting your psychedelic bush ballad persona. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast about objects and why we love them. So, you were talking about doing sort of work with it in the backyard at the risk of it de- getting damaged. So, I want to ask you if you lost this hat, how would that make you feel? Well, I wouldn't have thought about that until you, this project of talking on the podcast had come up and I realised I would be sad if I lost this hat. So, yeah, it's more than just an object. So do you think it's possible to love an object? <laughs> I love my hat. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause, so, so my husband, Oliver, mm. he lived in Papua New Guinea as a young fella, like in his late 20s, and he bought this amazing hat up in the Highlands, mm. handmade by the locals there. And he's had it with him since 1989. Mm. And recently, he lost it here in Berlin. Oh, no. And he'd almost lost it a bunch of times. And I managed to rescue it from a supermarket here in Berlin once where he dropped it on the ground. I had the whole place looking for it. And we found it was a eureka moment. And I gave it back to him. And then he lost, he actually lost it. He left it in a cab in Cologne, I think it was. And it's gone. And he wouldn't talk about it. Fair enough, too, because he had so much associated mm. with that hat. That story makes me feel terrible. You've got shivers, haven't you? <laughs> I, I can definitely understand his, the plight. There's a lot tied up in these things that we own and, and use a lot, isn't there? Yeah, giving you a bit of a sense of identity, as you mentioned before as well. So that's something that you want to you keep. I don't... Is it a lucky hat? Like, do you reckon it brings you luck? Uh, I, think, I think there's been some good fortune. Yeah. I was actually looking back through photos of uh, our daughter was born more than a year ago, very early, and we had a little blog while she was in uh, hospital in intensive care, and I was wearing the hat a lot through there. And I'm trying to think, I might have even had it on at the labour. No. You'll have to look back at those photos <laughs> if there are any. Those photos don't exist. But, uh, but it's, um, so I think I'm a pretty lucky guy, and I'd say this hat might be something to do with that since... 2004. Good things have happened. Good things have happened. Yeah, yeah. Do you think then, given that you have a squib, you have an heir, a, d- a young a daughter, mm. do you think one day you might hand it down to her? Oh, poor Joni. I mean, yeah, in terms of an heirloom. <laughs> well, I have my grandpa's hat. So my grandpa, my father's dad was, well, particularly that generation were big hat wearers and he, he would wear his... It's like the straw hat, but the that green Akubra style. So it's actually quite fine material, and it is perishing, unfortunately. So it just sits in the in the house. And I was very happy to get that hat at the time. I think I wore it a couple of times and realised it couldn't be worn anymore. And I also got uh, my my grandpa on my party's hat, my mum's dad's hat. He had more the Harris Tweed. Tam, is that the Tam O'Shanter? Maybe that's what this is. That's the. It's like the Scottish man's hat, and I'm. Um, I'm very pleased to have that been handed that as well. So in terms of Joni getting this hat, uh, to let you in a secret, I, I don't think I've washed it <laughs> in the last, since 2004, I was, when you think about it. Um, so it's got a, uh, touching my hair, you know, there's a lot of my DNA is 
it's and sweat is on that hat um there might be other things that she might be interested in i guess given that you've been given hats by your grandparents and they hold sentiment i would imagine yeah maybe that hat would do the same for her you never know yeah i'd I'd like to think so or or maybe the other hat that i wear on stage more is the sakubra hat that i got in dalesford i think once years ago and has, has the stuck a feather in his hat and call it macaroni big feather hanging out the side which i found in the gutter outside Sologogo one night Fantastic. another hat story yeah. uh so that's my stage hat uh maybe Joni would like that more with a nice big purple feather or uh, you've got a lot of stories around hats now that you mention it yeah so the last question I have for you is you're mentioning that you take home objects from your travels to remember the trips by what do you reckon you might take home from Berlin on this trip now that you asked the question, I was at the Checkpoint Charlie Museum and I did get a piece of the wall stuck on a fridge magnet. So That's an excellent souvenir. So there you go, I did it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Danny. Thanks, Megan. That's it for another episode of Auspicious Plastic. Huge thanks to my guest or guests for their time and willingness to share their ideas and stories about the things that they love. And massive thanks also to gifted music composer and musician Jeremy Conlon, a.k.a. Cooper Black, for creating the auspicious music theme for this podcast. You can find the full complement of his music online at cooperblack.bandcamp.com. And if you'd like to share your story with me or get in touch, please email me at hello at themeganspencer.com or you can visit my website, themeganspencer.com. And thank you too, auspicious listener. I'm grateful for your time, attention and feedback. My name's Megan Spencer and you've been listening to Auspicious Plastic. It's a podcast made about precious objects, made with love and dedicated to my mother Margaret. Until next time.